Listener Production. In the interest of justice, Ms Falbig should be released from custody as soon as possible. And so this morning at 9.30 I met with the Governor. I recommended that the Governor should exercise the raw prerogative of mercy and grant Ms Falbig an unconditional pardon. The Governor agreed. Ms Folbig has now been pardoned. With those words, Kathleen Folbig was allowed to walk free from prison yesterday after 20 years behind bars. She was originally convicted in 2003 of killing her own babies, four of them. Now, because of scientific breakthroughs, a judicial inquiry found there's reasonable doubt that she killed her children and reason to believe they died of natural causes. So in this episode of The Briefing, we explain the breakthrough that has set Kathleen Folbig free. First, here are the other big headlines of the day with Katrina Blowers. It is Tuesday, the 6th of June. A federal court judge has made damning findings against Ben Robert Smith, saying he was not an honest and reliable witness in his full defamation judgment, which was released yesterday. Judge Anthony Basanko found the former SAS corporal had a motive for lying about his involvement in war crimes, which was to gain financially from his now-failed defamation cases against the media. Quite explosive findings there, Tom. Yeah, so on Thursday when the big news broke, um, we only got the judgment itself, not the full reasoning behind it. Now we have all of that information. It was released yesterday afternoon. And the judge found that Robert Smith may have committed a criminal offence by sending threatening letters to former SAS comrades. So um, that's a very interesting development. And he also noted that there was an unusual arrangement where Robert Smith paid the legal fees of three of his own SAS witnesses. Donald Trump's former deputy, Mike Pence, has entered the race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. So that is really interesting. He's expected to position himself as the continuation of the Trump administration without the baggage, particularly the baggage of the stolen election, because Mike Pence stood up to Trump on that point. Yeah, so this is really interesting news. Uh, He's going to hit the campaign trail in a bid to win the primaries, which are happening in February, and they're going to determine who'll be the Republican Party's nominee for president. If he does, in fact, position himself as sort of Trump light, I don't know that that's going to wear too well with voters in the electorate, especially given that people who supported Trump were calling for Mike Pence to be hung. They Mm. even constructed a makeshift set of gallows outside the Capitol building when the riots happened uh, on January 6th. So I don't know that hardcore Trump supporters will be swayed to to vote for Mike Pence. Mike Pence was kind of picked because he's uh, evangelical, he appeals to socially conservative voters, and I guess um, people thought that he would play good cop to Trump's sometimes bad brush cop, and Mm. it seemed to work for the four years that they were together, but he's not polling particularly well. So Mm. I don't know how this is going to go for him. I don't know. Next to Trump, he seems very sensible. And I I feel like he could capture the middle ground in the Republican supporter base. I think the people you were referring to earlier were right out on the fringe. Yeah. um, And he appeals to Christian voters. um, He appeals to more moderate Republicans. I think he'll be a decent contender. We have another twist in the Hawthorne racism saga. The AFL is now launching a fresh investigation, this time into Hawthorne's handling of the racism investigation. So... 
This is an investigation into an investigation. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's going to interview former President Jeff Kennett and former Chief Executive Justin Reeves. While there were no adverse findings against Alastair Clarkson, Chris Fagan and Jason Burt, this new review signals the club could face sanctions. Bit of an interesting twist here. Wow, so messy. We talked about the strange agreement that happened and then we reported on um, the letter from Chris Fagan that may have sped things up. You know, the AFL came to an agreement, but the, the families and the players didn't come to an agreement with the club. There was a letter from um, former Hawthorne Premiership star Cyril Rioli last week saying that they were betrayed by the club and alleged control of their lives were taken away from them and they're heading to the Human Rights Commission. So again, um, more pain and investigation to come in this story. And PricewaterhouseCoopers has complied with the demands of the Senate inquiry and supplied names of current and former staff involved in the leak of confidential government tax plans. So they've publicly named four former partners and then they provided a separate list of 63 current and former partners to the Senate inquiry. So we don't have those names, but the Senate inquiry does and they will be faced with a choice whether or not to release them. So this is a big development. Very interesting that only former partners have been named publicly and not current partners. Yeah, I guess so. Just because your name's on those emails, um, it doesn't mean that you knew that this was a confidentiality mm. breach. And, and that's probably the reason why they're not publicly releasing yep. those names. Uh, so yeah, I think this is, this is going to go on for some time to come. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what decision the Senate inquiry make about that longer list of names. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you later. I'm about to dive deep into the huge news on the release of Kathleen Folbig. Being in prison for all this time, it's the resilience of the person. She's had to draw deep strength. And I guess I have in a way too as her advocate on the outside, but also her friend because there's been many sad, dark moments. So that is the voice of Tracy Chapman. She's the childhood friend and longtime supporter of Kathleen Folbig. And Tracy was the person waiting for Kathleen Folbig yesterday morning when she was driven out of Grafton Prison in a white van down to Tracy's farm near Coffs Harbour. It was an enormous moment in a story that some observers have called the biggest miscarriage of justice in Australian history. So, the deaths happened over the course of 10 years. Two boys, Caleb and Patrick, and then two girls, Sarah and Laura. She was convicted of murdering uh, the two girls and Patrick and of manslaughter of Caleb, the firstborn. Along with her loyal supporters, Kathleen Folbig has always professed her innocence. And last time we talked about this on The Briefing, we were talking about the second inquiry that was underway examining new scientific evidence about a rare genetic mutation that gave reasonable suspicion her children died of natural causes. Now, what led up to yesterday's huge announcement was the head of that inquiry gave a summary report to the New South Wales Attorney General, Michael Daly. You heard from him at the top of the podcast. And basically he said that in light of all this new evidence... Her guilt was no longer beyond a reasonable doubt. So on that basis, the Attorney-General gave her a pardon and released her immediately. So let's find out what the scientific breakthrough actually was. 
Matthew Aegis is a science reporter from Cosmos magazine. It's a leading science publication and the engine room of our sister podcast, The Science Briefing. Matthew Aegis was there for the inquiry in New South Wales. Matthew, were you surprised by yesterday's announcement? Probably not, Tom. There was certainly a feeling that there was substantial new evidence being presented and that it was getting a fair hearing during the inquiry. And then in the final submissions to the presiding judicial officer, Tom Bathurst KC, uh, the counsel assisting the inquiry, who are highly qualified barristers, took the view that the evidence that had been presented was sufficient to cast a reasonable doubt on Kathleen Folbig's convictions, and that was accepted by the DPP. So there was certainly probably no surprise that 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 was accepted by his honour, and then through that process and and this memo that came out yesterday, uh, the current Attorney-General. Yeah, so there was a lot of pressure building on the Attorney-General to do something here. Everyone was saying, you know, every extra day she spends in jail is is another injustice. And so there was speculation that he would need to wait for Tom Bathurst's full report, but he hasn't done that. So what were the events that took place over the last week? So the day that the final submissions were made and that it was said by counsel assisting and the DPP that they accept a reasonable doubt, uh, Kathleen Volbig's lawyers and supporters did a doorstop out the side of the Chief Secretary's building and said, she should be pardoned or she should be paroled uh, as of today, given that. And and yeah, as you're completely right, there's been a lot of pressure building for some sort of decision to be made to release her from prison, given, I guess, what some might see as a bit of a fait accompli. But we don't necessarily know what his honour might want to do. He is independent in this process. He can accept what those who've been assisting him say, or he may form his own opinion. He says, to paraphrase, that he accepts that there is a reasonable doubt over her convictions. So I think Mm. that that's probably, in very rough layperson's terms, the process that's transpired here. So she's been pardoned, but there's more that could happen here. She could have her conviction quashed in the Court of Appeal. How likely is that? And is that particularly important, do you think? Well, I guess the difference to my understanding is that a quashing of the conviction is, is as though the conviction never existed. A pardon is saying that, you know, we, we, we will release you as a, a bit of a, applying a mercy rule here. Um, and that's what obviously has transpired yesterday. We can't predict what Tom Bathurst will do, though. He, he may say that, you know, there's not enough to sort of recommend it going to the Court of Appeal to quash or to consider quashing, but that it is perhaps sufficient that there is enough reasonable doubt and that a pardon is appropriate. Mm. And we'll get into the science in a moment, Matthew, but on a basic human level, what do you think of this woman being able to walk free from prison in Grafton yesterday after spending 20 years in jail? I guess it's being related, Tom, to the Lindy Chamberlain case of of this generation. The comparisons there are probably quite easy to make. A person who has had all of their avenues of appeal exhausted and who in, in an initial inquiry was found to have not substantiated enough evidence to warrant a pardon or a quashing of a conviction. So it's certainly, um, I'm sure for, for her supporters, going to be quite a, a significant time to see that happen and and certainly vindicating of of their efforts. What was the new science that completely changed the game here for the Folby convictions? In the first inquiry, Tom, they did a, I guess, 
an audit of Kathleen Folbig's genome and the genomes and the genes of her children. And within that, they found a, a list of genetic mutations. And this isn't necessarily remarkable in and of itself. You and I have genetic mutations that we carry and we are, you know, having this interview now. Uh, but there was one particular one mm. that a group of scientists involved in that first inquiry took particular interest in. And the gene in question, there are three genes that code for a protein called calmodulin. A mutation, however, to calmodulin, uh, which emerged in this inquiry from geneticists from Denmark who, who presented some very recent findings, was for a long time believed to be incompatible with life. If you had a mutation to the genes that code for calmodulin, you probably wouldn't be alive was the long-held belief. And that is because these genes are very similar across many species. They are identical across vertebrate species. So anything with a backbone. And only 10 years ago did this group of Danish researchers discover that actually there are some people on planet Earth today walking around with mutations to these genes, oftentimes they have cardiac issues, but they are still able to live normal lives. The argument that was made, though, is that for the most part, calmodulin mutations are not benign, that they should cause some sort of disease. And the argument made in the research paper, which the Australian Academy of Science held up to say, you know what, we're of the belief that this is really compelling new evidence, is that uh, it wasn't benign for Kathleen Folbig's children, that there are certain circumstances that could effectively trigger uh, the symptoms that, that this gene mutation would lead to in her two daughters who inherited the gene mutation, that there are very, very, very similar gene mutations that have caused death in children elsewhere in the world and that that would be a plausible explanation for Sarah and Laura Folbig's deaths. So that's the science that triggered the inquiry, but as part of it, every piece of scientific evidence that had previously been brought forward uh, over the course of 20 years was also reviewed again. Matthew, you've been talking about the discoveries around the, the CALM2 genetic mutation. Was there a specific study that changed the game here? Yes. So there were two teams at the first inquiry um, held a few years ago into Kathleen Folbig's convictions, which didn't exonerate her. One of those teams based out of primarily ANU uh, decided to pursue one of the findings they had, which was that there's this mutation identified on a calmodulin coding gene, and they believe that, that uh, it should be researched further. So they went away and pursued that knowledge on an international scale. I think from memory there's about 20 or more names on the, the actual research paper, which was called Infanticide versus Cardiac Arrhythmias. And so mm. that paper is the piece of research which took an understanding of who Kathleen Folbig is, the fact that she possessed this mutation, that she passed it on to two of her children. It also noted other mutations that exist, including possessed by the two boys, one of which appears, and this is based on research that we've only just started to see published, could cause epileptic conditions in mice. As we know, Patrick had epilepsy. So that's not proven, but you start to see the way in which 
scientific investigation begins to put in place pieces of a potential puzzle to understand the, the conditions that human beings may be experiencing. One of the points made by Carola Vinweza, who who was um, presenting evidence on this during the inquiry, was that oftentimes we see something appear in a mouse model and then 20 years later we finally see it appear in a human. So we can't say that that mm. might be the the case or the cause here. But but this piece of research that she and her colleagues from Denmark and, and from Italy and then their teams and other collaborators is is the thing that really brought it to the attention of the Academy of Science here in Australia and then and then eventually to the New South Wales government. Was it proven that her two daughters had inherited this genetic mutation? Yes. So it was inherited from Kathleen Folbig. It wasn't passed down to her two sons. So uh, it doesn't, the finding doesn't apply to Caleb and Patrick, only to Sarah and Laura, but it was found that, that yes, it was inherited from their mother and that uh, her husband didn't provide a, a genetic sample. So it couldn't be determined whether or not he, for example, had the genetic mutation as well. It's highly unlikely, though. These are what scientists would describe as novel or new, um, and and in this case, likely, given how few calmodulin mutations exist and how they are very much all distinct, um, it would be unlikely that uh, that another non-related human would would perhaps have this one. Um, so certainly, it was demonstrated that that she had passed that mutation on to her two girls. And so when you look at other children that have inherited this genetic mutation around the world, what does the evidence say about their likelihood of dying from that? Well, it's, I guess that's a key point, is that no other child on, on Earth today is known to have this specific mutation, Tom. It's how incredibly rare they are. What about the two sons, Patrick and Caleb? There's a murder conviction and grievous bodily harm for Patrick and manslaughter for Caleb. What has this inquiry interpreted differently in relation to those two deaths? One of the observations made by the Attorney General yesterday is that the scientific evidence casts reasonable doubt over three of the children's deaths, the two girls we've discussed. The second one is Patrick Folbig. Uh, In all likelihood, it wasn't specifically articulated, but it did come out in the closing submissions, and that is because it was known that Patrick Folbig had suffered um, an unexplained life-threatening event and that caused him to have epilepsy. He was diagnosed with epilepsy. He was clinically blind. And it was believed that that would be a reasonable explanation for some of the symptoms that occurred around the time of his death and and when he was found Mm -hmm. to have passed. Dr. Monique Ryan, who's a paediatric neurologist and and now the federal member for Kuyong, presented evidence at both this inquiry and at the Blanche inquiry a few years ago, where she, in essence, said that the epileptic condition he was experiencing, um, he was experiencing seizures, would be a, a reasonable explanation for the condition he was found in. The difference now is that now it's being seen as a reasonable explanation for his death in the first inquiry, it wasn't. And I think it also falls into some considerations around other pathologies witnessed in, in the children. So um, Laura Folbig, it was observed that uh, in an assessment of her heart tissue in post-mortem that she showed some signs of myocarditis, which is inflamed heart tissue. Mm. Um, in the years since, it's been observed independently by other forensic pathologists that, that there is a belief that myocarditis is, is clearly visible and that would also give a reasonable explanation for her death. Um, again, that wasn't enough perhaps in the last inquiry to change uh, the view of reasonable doubt. This time, it's been singled out as a, a reasonable explanation. And then taken together, it would also then 
cast doubt on the conviction for Caleb. Caleb was a SIDS death. He was Kathleen Folbig's firstborn. So there was never any sort of genetic or or existing um, conditions that might have explained his death, but taken together with all these other explanations, that now casts a reasonable doubt on on the reason for his death. Yeah, I like that point you made earlier that at the time of her conviction in 2003, we were only just learning how to decode the genome. Um, Mm. So that just shows how much science has changed in the 20 years that Kathleen Folbig's been in jail, it begs the obvious and mind-blowing question, how many other convictions have been made based on outdated scientific evidence that need to be looked at again? It's really hard to answer that question, Tom. The likelihood seems low, but we can't rule anything out as we couldn't rule it out in the Folbig case. That was Matthew Ages, science reporter at the Science Briefing and Cosmos magazine. Um, The Science Briefing is a great podcast. Check it out and subscribe. It's going to be fascinating to see where this goes from here. Um, There has been a bidding war for Kathleen Folbig's interview on television. News Corp is reporting it's gone to Channel 7, so watch out for that in the coming week or so. Also, the much bigger question is whether this just remains a pardon or whether the case is referred to the Court of Appeal and then her conviction is overturned. Following on from that will be another interesting development. Does she sue for damages? So, so much to come still on this story. Listener.